tasks, I dread it a little bit. Because I have to actually stop and then I have to process what is new in my life. And then it often feels like, well, nothing is really that new in my life. Other than the obvious wedding come up, coming up, but even that doesn't really feel so new anymore because of our long engagement. I think the endless wedding planning. Uh, and because I've had every conversation that I think can be had about how it feels to anticipate a wedding coming. When I'm asked what's new... I can feel discouraged because it can make me feel like no progress has been made in life. When all I have to say is, you know, same old, same old, I'm doing the same job, I have the same friends, I live in the same house, it can make me feel like I'm just running in circles a little bit. On a day-to-day basis, I try to live in the moment, I try to improve upon certain habits, I try to grow in certain ways, but when I have nothing to point to that obviously demonstrates my growth, it can be discouraging. And this happens when my markers for growth are based on external outcomes, such as a job, an accomplishment, uh, some sort of circumstantial change. And if nothing circumstantially has actually changed, then I feel like I haven't actually made that much progress. So what do I do when I face this kind of discouragement? Usually, I tell myself, well, I've just got to work harder. I've got to try harder. I'll put in more effort so the next time someone asks me what's new, I can have a satisfying answer. But then the cycles of life repeat, and I've failed to implement many of the habits that I desire to, that I need to succeed, and my efforts to change myself or my circumstances soon crumble as I continue to run in circles. It can be really tough to be obedient to God when I'm in a repetitive cycle that seems to go nowhere, wondering, are you sure, God, this is still the way? This is still the direction? I find myself facing similar problems over and over and over again, wondering, when am I going to get past this? When will I arrive at a greater destination? Does anyone feel similar to this in any way? This is exactly what we will be discussing this morning. And we've been in a series called Promised Land, where we've been looking at the book of Joshua. And this book continues to discuss the journey of the Israelite people as they make their way toward the Promised Land, which has been a really long and arduous journey. If you're just joining, this, uh, joining us this morning, I kind of want to give you a recap of what we've been talking about, but also kind of a recap of the large narrative of the Bible that's led to this point for the Israelite people. Way back in Genesis, in the beginning of the Bible, uh, God chooses this man named Abraham, and he chooses his family, and he says he wants to partner with him in order to bless the world. God will bless this family with land and many descendants, and he will make a great nation out of them. And this nation will become Israel, and Israel becomes enslaved by Egypt soon after. But then God rescues Israel by using this guy named Moses, and he makes a covenant with Moses. Israel is brought through the wilderness as they're wandering about after getting out of slavery. And they end up coming to the outside of the promised land, and they're camped out there. And then Moses is out there, and he's telling them, obey God's command so that you can show the rest of the nations what God is like. And the book of Joshua begins soon after Moses' death, where Israel is finally ready to enter the promised land. And over the last weeks, we have seen Joshua be appointed the new leader of Israel and the beginning of him leading the people uh, into the land. 
God has continually said to them, be faithful to me, keep following me, keep my commands and promises, uh, and, and trust in my promises. But Israel is understandably weary and worn out and tired because this journey has literally been, been happening for hundreds of years for them. They know what it feels like to go through the motions, to face the same challenges over and over and over again, to wonder how progress is being made with all that they've been through. They know what it's like to finish their journey and to, or they know what it's like to long to finish their journey and to arrive at the promised land. And so today we're going to be discussing how to move forward in obedience to God in the midst of our repetitive journeys. And I know that we have to relate to this some, in some way because of the last year and a half that we've all been through. And it's seemingly endless pandemic where things get better and they don't and they get better and they don't. And it, they were just recently getting better. And now it's looking like it's getting worse. And it's like, oh gosh, here we go again, right into the cycle. When is this going to be normal again? It seems like we've been facing the same problems over and over again. Parents, I can only imagine how exhausted you must be in working, in teaching your kids, helping them do online school in person, online school in person wondering where the finish line might be. Maybe many of us have experienced joblessness, kind of bouncing from situation, job to job, just wanting stability. We might also relate to this in ways that have nothing to do with the pandemic. Many of, the, many, many of us might have been working for 30, 40 years, going through the daily routine, hoping to reach the promised land of retirement. Maybe there's a hardship with a family member that just never seems like it's going to get solved. Maybe you've been wanting to be married, but you're tired of even trying because every day that you go on just never seems to go well, and you feel like no progress is being made. And maybe you're struggling to be faithful and obedient to God because you're just worn out. And honestly, I am with you in that often because it's hard to continue to put in the effort it takes to follow God because no matter how much you do, it, it, it can seem like, God, are you there? Are you with me still? Nothing seems to be getting better. Will we ever get to the promised land? Will we keep being obedient? Will we stay faithful? How do we keep going? That's what we're going to be looking at in Joshua 5.13. And, and before we get there, last week we left on a little bit of a cliffhanger. The Canaanites are people who are currently inhabiting the land that Israel is go going towards. And Israel's moving towards the city of Jericho, and they're preparing to battle with the Canaanites. And so we're going to read through the battle of Jericho to examine how the Israelites are invited to be obedient to God. And in doing so, that what we're going to find is that we are all invited to persevere, not through our own effort or grit, but through our surrender and obedience. And as we surrender in obedience to God, we can discover that the promised land we long for exists in the journey we're in. So let's start in Joshua 5.13, where it says, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have, come, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. 
It's kind of a strange place to start the story. There's this, obviously, kind of this angelic figure who's this warrior kind of figure, and Joshua encounters him. And what's happening here is there's a direct comparison being made between Joshua and Moses. Uh, we have seen multiple times in the last few weeks direct comparisons to Joshua and Moses, where Joshua led the people through the Jordan River, Moses led the people through the Red Sea. Joshua sent spies into the Promised Land, Moses sent spies into the Promised Land. And now, uh, this time it's being compared to Moses at the burning bush, where Moses encountered God, and then, and then God told him, take off your sandals, uh, for where you're standing is holy. And that's happening again here with Joshua. There's a direct comparison showing Joshua is this this new Moses figure uh, and that we're supposed to see him through that light and see that God is with Joshua as he was with Moses. And the other thing that's happening here is that the battle isn't purely about Israel versus the Canaanites. When asked if the angelic warrior is for them or the enemy, the warrior says neither. This is being set up as God's battle where he has his own agenda and that he will do the work to make his promises come true. So keep in mind, the Israelites are on on the precipice of battle. They've been wandering around for years looking to get into the promised land and they're ready to overcome their enemy. They've been waiting, they've been waiting. And then God instructs Joshua to do this in the coming verses. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. I think that this, that if you've been around church for a while, this story might be pretty familiar. It's a pretty famous story in the Bible. Uh, But I think that we can sometimes forget uh, what's actually happening when it's so familiar and the and kind of the the profundity of what's going on here see joshua is a military leader he's a military expert here and they're about to go into battle take a step closer into the promised land and god gives him irrational instructions he says literally walk in circles around a city six days in a row and then on the seventh day do it seven times and then yell when you hear a trumpet and then the walls are going to fall makes total sense this is terrible military advice there's no mention of building trenches making batter uh, battering rams no mention of what typical military operations would have existed as you're trying to place a siege upon a city the israelites would have many reasons to doubt this plan First off, the Canaanites, if they wanted to, could very easily just come out and attack the Israelites as they're just kind of marching single file line around the city. It also seems pretty counterintuitive, I think, to spend all of this energy uh, walking all week, and then on the seventh day, walking seven times around the city, there's some estimations that would have taken them 12 hours, and then go and fight a battle afterwards. 
See, God is asking for a total abandonment of reason here. And he's inviting the Israelites to trust upon his words alone. See, what he's doing is deliberately presenting a plan that is meant to magnify his power. There is a plan. This is a plan where no one could attribute a victory to Israel's strength, only to Israel's God. Everything is centered on God's power and his plan to strengthen Israel and follow through on his promises. Here's the point. Instead of depending on their own strength or effort to give them victory, Joshua and the Israelites are being invited to fight with surrender and obedience. Instead of depending on their own strength or their own knowledge or their own power, they're being invited to surrender and they're invited to fight with surrender and obedience. I don't know about you, but when problems arise in my life, when I'm facing battles, my first response is depend on myself, do all that I can, and then just fight through and fix them. When I see weakness in myself, I try to change myself, often to no avail. And then I end up running in circles, addressing the same problems over and over again until I eventually get burnt out. And the worst part is, I will then often blame God for not giving me victory over the difficulties facing me, wondering if he's left me behind. Did he forget about me? When in reality, I've been going my, my own direction. I haven't asked him where he's going. I haven't followed him. I've just said, God, follow me. I'm going this way. Do what I want you to do. Fix my problems the way I want you to fix them. It would be like if the Israelites were to disregard God's, God's instructions fight the battle on their own anyway, lose, and then say, God, where were you? What happened? I thought you were supposed to be with us. And we do this all the time. See, I don't know what battles you have in front of you, but what if God isn't asking you to fight using your own strength or force, but instead is asking you to fight with obedience and surrender with, to him? Instead of living day to day by your own strength, fighting your own battles, mustering up just enough to get you to the end of the work week, just enough to get you to the end of the day, just enough to the next vacation, just enough to take the kids to school, and just always mustering up just enough by your own strength. What if there is a different way? A way where you go forward not fighting through your day, not fighting through everything, not through sheer effort to overcome the walls of your life, but through daily surrender and obedience to the Lord who leads you forward. Now, in doing so, you might have to commit to some irrational things out of obedience to God. As Joshua demonstrates, in the next few verses, Joshua does what God asks him to do, which is great because, honestly, most of the time that never happens in the Old Testament, especially if he's being directly compared to Moses. Moses just argues with God and says, I can't do it, I can't do it, to the point where God has to say, all right, well, this other person will speak you just have to tell him what to say. <laughs> Joshua doesn't do that, though. Joshua says, does exactly what he says. He tells the priests and the armed guards what to do, and they follow God's commands perfectly. They march around Jericho silently. They circle the city, returning to their camp without any apparent issues after day one. Now, now again, this should be a little surprising to us, but this particular time, Israel's obedience lines up with God's plan. But their journey isn't over yet. As we see in the next few verses, it says, Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. 
The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. When I read this, honestly, my focus went right to Joshua getting up early, because that is a huge act of obedience. This section kind of reminds me of when you kind of make a recommitment to going to the gym, and you start the first morning, you're ready to go, you've excited, you're excited to kind of begin on this new routine, you have your gear ready, you just bought these like weightlifting gloves, you're like, all right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to get healthy, I'm going to take care of myself. And you go to the gym, and you have a great day, and you're like, that was awesome, I can't wait to keep doing this. And then you wake up the next morning, and you're a little less excited this time, and you're like, I gotta go, though, because it'd be so lame to stop after on the second day. But then the fourth or the fifth morning comes along, and you think to yourself, you know, I've been doing pretty good. I don't think I need to do that anymore. I, I'll, I'll, I'll do it next week, or I'll wait a couple days. And then you find yourself in the gym a year later, doing the same thing. It's one thing to be obedient for a day. It's another thing to be consistent. Yep, that's right. Obedience in one day is one thing. It's another thing to be consistent. There had to be many Israelites who were doubting the leadership of Joshua. People who felt like little progress was being made while they walked around in circles. There had to be people who were afraid to go out and do the same thing day after day, exposing themselves to danger as they walked around the city. And at a certain point, you would go, wait, what are, what are we doing here? Are we, are we just wasting our time? Should we be doing something more, something different? Should we be doing something that's actually going to get us to victory? This feels like it's doing nothing. This feels like we're going nowhere. Let's fight this battle on our own. Let's build the trenches. Let's get the battering rams. Let's do what we know how to do and make progress towards victory. That would be logical. But they don't do that. They stay faithful, and they, re they remain obedient to surrender to God's commands. And there's a lesson here. External markers aren't great indicators of progress. External markers aren't great indicators of progress. What do I mean by this? When we try to indicate our growth based on an accomplishment or a job or a met goal, whatever it is, we can actually miss out on the progress that's happening right in front of us. For the Israelites, it would be so easy for them to feel like they're making zero progress. They're walking around these walls every day and nothing is changing. There's no indication that progress is being made. They probably feel like they should be doing something else, wondering if they're going down the right path. I know that I've been there. And it's in these moments, progress is actually being made. When we measure our growth based on external markers or change, we are missing out on all the growth that, that occurs as we stay faithful to our daily lives, as we stay faithful to our families, to our jobs, to our communities. See, there is undoubtedly progress that is occurring for the Israelites each and every day that they march. They are one day closer to victory, yes, but more importantly, God is working in their hearts as they march, as they go forth. They're learning to be faithful and patient. They're learning to trust God's leadership out of surrender. They're learning to be obedient in the midst of their doubt. See, we are all 
being formed and shaped in the midst of our marching. And if we're so focused on the destination and the external markers of progress, we'll miss out on the goodness and the transformation that's happening right in front of us. What is the battle you're facing? Is it being a parent in this trying season? Is it joblessness? Is it, is it the grind of just kind of work and trying to get to retirement? Is it family drama? For whatever battle you're facing, there is opportunity for God to work in that space as you stay obedient and faithful to him. It doesn't mean your circumstance will change. For many of the Israelites, they, nothing changed for them for hundreds of years. It doesn't mean you will reach your preferred destination anytime soon, but it does mean that there can be goodness, beauty, and purpose in the midst of the journey you're in, even if it's difficult, even if it's mundane. Because no matter what, the choices you are making in your journey are forming you and they're shaping you. And the way you handle the battle you're in can break you. And I think that we've seen that this last year. It can make you bitter, worn out, judgmental, angry, apathetic, cynical. On the other hand, the battle you're in can make you resilient, more patient, disciplined, grateful, even if you can't see progress being made externally, you're always becoming someone in, 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 in faithfulness and obedience to God. He can bring life and beauty and purpose to the battle you're experiencing. We're going to wrap up our story in the last five verses. It says, On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared, because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things, so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged in and they took the city. So it is being very it is being made very clear here that God is the one responsible for the victory here all of the gold and the treasure and all the things that are, would be the reward of the battle, they're not allowed to touch it because they can't act like they get any part of the, the reward or take responsibility for the thing that God has done. And if they do, they can bring destruction upon themselves. And so through God, the Israelites have won this long-awaited battle. They're, they're, they're one step closer into the promised land. They, they, they move a little bit forward. But the thing is, their greatest enemy in this battle was not the Canaanites. It was definitely themselves. The greatest battle they had to fight with was, to, that they had to fight was the battle within themselves. See, what I mean by that is that they had to fight their desire to disregard the commands of God. They had to resist the temptation to rely upon themselves and do things their own way. They had to resist their thoughts that said, are you sure this is going to work? 
you should be doing something else. You, you are capable of so much more. You, got, you, you, you can do this on your own. You don't need to follow those instructions. You can have victory in a different way. Why are you wasting your time? Why am I even following this God? Is he even real? And if he's real, does he even care? Over and over again, they had to make the difficult choice to surrender their own reasoning, their own strength and power, as they chose to trust in and be obedient to God. Joshua and the people of Israel had to win the battle within as they entered into the difficult process of being obedient. See, a temptation that I struggle with is a temptation to believe that I'm battling some external force out there in the world as I try to grow. It's a temptation to believe that my enemies are certain obstacles in my life, such as believing if I just made a little bit more money, if I got a different job, if people noticed me more, if I simply overcame that wall in my life, then I would get to the promised land. Then I would be happy. Then I would be joyful. Then I would be satisfied. The truth is, though, most of the time, the battle that I need to win, that I need to win is the one within. The battle I need to win is actually the battle that's occurring within me. It's not simply about the external walls, but the internal ones we face in the midst of our routine, mundane, tiring, day-to-day lives. It's choosing to stay faithful and obedient to God in the best way that I know how to. And this will appear in, in seemingly small choices each and every day. When I wake up, I have to fight the voice that says, press snooze, sleep 15 more minutes, you don't need to get up yet. And instead, I need to win the battle within get up and choose to start my day by spending time with God. When I'm tired and I want to veg out, but I've committed to going to the gym, I need to win the battle within and choose what is best for me, even if it's not what I want in the moment. When I'm ashamed of something I've done and I want to hide in that shame, I need to win the battle within and choose freedom by talking to a trusted friend. When a roommate, coworker, family member, whoever, does something that's annoying or frustrating to me, I need to win the battle within and choose to love them because they aren't the enemy. Each and every day, we have the opportunity to run in circles purposefully, knowing that our choices matter, that we're being shaped and formed, and that God is with us working in and through our repetitive journeys. When life feels uncertain or pointless or when a problem is before us, our temptation is to grab the wheel of our lives, to build our trenches, to prepare our military operations, and to fight with all the strength and effort we have. And church, here's the thing. The choice to do things our own way, rely on our own strength versus surrendering to God and being obedient to him and his leadership is the greatest battle that we will face. Over and over and over again. This is the greatest battle we'll face today. This is the greatest battle we will ever face. Choosing to rely upon ourselves, say, no, I got this. Or choosing to say, no, God, I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to follow you. That is the greatest battle that we will continuously face. It's not the obstacle in front of us. It's not the thing that we want to blame. That we feel like we need to overcome to get to the promised land. It's the choice we will make to be faithful or not, no matter the obstacle that we face. Life is not simply about reaching the destination. And yeah, I'm going to be pretty cliche and say it's about the journey. 
the promised land for the Israelites isn't just about the destination that they will get to, but it's about the life that they are experiencing right now and the work that God is doing in them on their journey as they travel. What God was doing in them in their obedience was more important than their destination. The same is true for us. The promised land that we are all longing for is not about us arriving at our preferred destination. The promised land is found in the midst of our journeys as we surrender to obedience. The promised land is found in the midst of our journeys as we surrender to obedience. To make this clear, I wanted to share a clip with all of you, and this is of the late, great Kobe Bryant, a uh, role model for me. Uh, and in this clip, Kobe is giving a speech at his Jersey retirement ceremony, and he speaks to his daughters about uh, the promised land and, and being found in the journey. And he uses slightly different language, but I think that you will get the idea of what he's talking about. So we can go ahead and, and play that. tonight is not, you know, you guys know that, you know, if you do the work, you work hard enough, dreams come true. You know that, we all know that. But hopefully what you get from tonight is the understanding that um, those times when you get up early and you work hard, those times when you stay up late and you work hard, those times when you don't feel like working, you're too tired, you don't want to push yourself, but you do it anyway, um, that is actually the dream. That's the dream. It's not the destination, it's the journey. And if you guys, if you guys can understand that, then what you'll see happen is that you won't accomplish your dreams. Your dreams won't come true. Um, something greater will. And uh, if you guys can understand that, then I'm doing my job as a father. Thank you guys so much. I love you. And, uh, Mamba out. See, uh, what I love about that clip is that what he's describing is that the work, the daily journey we're on is the dream. It is the promised land. He's talking about the idea of winning the battle within. And when we do that in obedience to the Lord, we experience something far greater than the dream, far greater than the promised land. We experience something far more important than the destination we hope for because we're being formed, we're being transformed, we're being made new as Jesus is with us, as he's forming and shaping us, and as we're becoming more and more like him in that journey. As we move uh, uh, towards a close, I hope that you felt the Lord speak to you this morning. It may have been something that I didn't even talk about, but I hope that you felt the Lord speak to you this morning. Maybe you needed to hear that God isn't inviting you to fight your battles purely by your own strength, but is instead inviting you to fight with surrender and obedience to him. Maybe you needed to hear that external markers of your, life, of your life aren't great indicators of progress and that there is opportunity for growth in the midst of your battles. Maybe you needed to hear that in order to stay obedient, you needed to overcome the great temptation of self-reliance and win the battle within. And maybe you needed to hear that the promised land can be found in the midst of your journey. For whatever you're going through, you do not simply have to run in circles. 
You may still be doing the same job. You may still be living in the same city. You may have a similar experience, deal with the same problems, but that does not mean that you are only running in circles. There are family members, friends, coworkers, neighbors who you are around who need your presence, who need your care. There are tasks to be accomplished that only you can do in the way that you do them. There is a life to be enjoyed if you have the eyes to see it. And there is a God who loves you and is with you and wants to form and shape you to create beauty inside of you. To make you more like him if you will let him. Your journey does not have to be purposeless. It does not have to be a series of moments where you're always pursuing something new, living your whole life trying to arrive somewhere while you miss the promised land right in front of you. This doesn't mean that you don't pursue things in life, that you don't have goals, that you don't try to do your best to grow. No, still do those things, but don't miss out on what God is inviting you into during your journey of obedience. Surrender your own pride to fight your battles on your own and trust what it looks like to follow his leadership towards victory. See, in his book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction, author Eugene Peterson uh, puts it this way. He says, And yet I decide every day to set aside what I can do best and attempt what I do very clumsily. Open myself to the frustrations and failures of loving, daring, to believe that failing in love is better than succeeding in pride. Failing in love, failing and just going forth and being obedient is better than succeeding in pride. Church, I have two questions for you as I invite the band back up. Don't simply answer these immediately right now, knee-jerk reaction. In fact, Uh, your spiritual practice this week is to take these two questions and dwell on them with the Lord this week. Take time uh, asking him these questions. Wait to see what he says to you. Ruminate on it a little bit. These two questions are as follows. First one is, what battle do you need to let God lead? What battle are you experiencing that you need to let God lead? And maybe you're not aware of that battle. So maybe you need to ask him, God, what battle am I in that I don't even know is that I'm not even aware that I'm in it. Second question, how is he asking you to be obedient in the journey you're in right now? How is he asking you to be obedient in the journey you're in right now? And if you're like me, you are tempted to fill in the blanks very quickly and give a knee-jerk reaction and, and, to those questions. But even now, I want to encourage you to fight the temptation to lean on your own strength and your own understanding of what you think the answers are. And instead, go take time with God. Do that during worship today, but also do that at home. Spend time with him. Dwell on these questions. Say, God, what battle am I in? What are, you, what are you asking me to follow you in? How are you asking me to be obedient in the journey that I'm in right now? And see what he might reveal to you. He might have pressed something upon your heart during this sermon that's obvious, and, and maybe you need to listen to that. But maybe you also need to listen and take time to see what he might reveal. See, for me, writing this sermon uh, has felt very on the nose for where I'm at in life. The battle I'm facing is wanting to skip ahead, fast forward, and go to the next stage. Because every day, honestly, has felt a little monotonous, trying to take one step at a time, just get to the wedding day. 
Because honestly, the wedding day has felt like a promised land for me. The whole time, honestly, the whole time I was writing this sermon, I just wanted to get through it. And I felt like God was like, this is for you. I just wanted to get through it. I wanted to preach already. So I'm just one step closer to the promised land. I want to get through the wedding planning, the work I have to do, the money that I'll have to spend, the moving day that's going to come up. But I've been continually reminded by the Lord that he wants to do something in me right now. Right now as I speak, right now as we're in this room, right now as you're listening, he wants to do something in you right now. As I wait for the wedding, as I go through the motions of life, there's a journey I'm on and one that I'll continue to be on once the wedding comes and goes. He wants to address the walls of my life. He wants to bring me joy today. He wants me to see the beauty of what it means to follow him and be obedient to him right now because today is all I have. And God is moving and I don't want to miss what's happening right in front of me because I'm too focused on what's next. I don't want to miss out on what God is doing right here, right now. I don't want to miss out my whole life on the life that he actually has given me. Going, well, I got to get to the promised land, promised land, promised land. He's like, well, you have it. The next stage of life will come. This battle will fade, but another one will appear. I don't want to run the rat race trying to use all of my strength to get from one destination to another. Friends, there is a promised land that we all exist in right now. And if we aren't careful, we will, miss our, we will spend our whole lives running in circles, missing what God is doing as we march. But we have a promised land that we have access to currently, and it is found in Jesus. He is the one who gives us access to the kingdom of God, the promised land. Israel, as we all know, will fail. They've succeeded. They've been obedient in this story. They'll be disobedient in the next story. Same with us. We, we, we all can always have our pursuits on obedience, but we can't perfectly follow God and follow all the commands. But Jesus did. Jesus came and he lived our end of the covenant so that he fulfilled the end where God said uh, that we, that when he made that initial promise to say, I'm going to use you and bless you so that you can bless the whole world. We have been heirs to that promise through Jesus. We are part of that family through Jesus. We are shares of the promises of, of, of God that he made to the Israelites through Jesus. And so we have the ability to experience God's kingdom right here, right now. It's not just about when we get to heaven one day. It's not just about the destination. It's not just about the thing that you want to get through. It is about what he's doing here and now in your life as he creates beauty in us and transforms us to be a blessing unto the world. It is through trusting in him and remaining in him that we too can live in the promised land as children of the king. Let's hold on to this as we go into our week surrendering in obedience to God. Let's take time to dwell on those questions, to be formed by him and make those choices. I'm gonna wrap up uh, and pray for us all. God, you are in this room. I believe that you are speaking to people right now, God. I believe that you are bringing something up on our hearts and on our minds, God. And God, whatever it is, would your hand be there? 
God, whatever it is, may we see how you are inviting us to be obedient to you. May we see the ways that we've been disobedient, God. May we repent for that, God. May we turn our way from relying upon ourselves and may we instead say, no, God, I want to follow your way. I want to follow your way, God. May we desire that for ourselves, Jesus. Would you give us grace so that we might change our desires, so that we might desire your ways, God. We want to live into the promised land that you've given us now through you. You are the promised land in us, Lord. May we choose you. May we submit to you. God, would you give us strength to do so? Uh, but, But Lord, when we are weak, you are strong. And so may we surrender. May we surrender to you, Lord. Instead of fighting through each and every moment, may we surrender to you and experience your love, your beauty, your goodness in the journey that we're on, Lord. Give us endurance. Give us strength. Give us patience, Jesus. And God, do what you want to do. Be the Lord of our life in new ways today. Change us any way you want. Amen.